Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined by Chris Bugay. How are you doing, Chris? I'm awesome, Rachel. Uh, so happy to be here as always. Yeah. So how's summer treating you, Chris? So, you know, pretty well. You know, I have to say something kind of remarkable happened to me this past week. It doesn't happen all the time. So I got a Facebook message from a colleague. She used to be a speech therapist that worked in the schools, and now she started her own private practice, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. But we've stayed in touch ever since and have always been friendly. And she sent me a picture uh, through her Facebook Messenger where there was a student sitting in the middle and then two students sitting on either side of this student. And they were both kind of uh, hovering over that student in the middle, kind of looking at the student's iPad. And they were all sitting, all three of them were sitting on the floor. Uh, it was one of those pictures where she had added like the smiley face over their face. So you couldn't really tell who the kids were, right? To kind of mask them out. I don't know if you've seen that before, right? Yeah. Um, and her message was, she had said, Chris, you're not going to believe this, but I am at a Parks and Rec right now. And the two kids on either side, the kid in the middle is the student who is the user of the iPad, but the two kids on either side are just students here in Parks and Rec. And they have, from different schools, right? They're here during like a summer camp, right? And she was doing her services during the summer camp. And she's like, these two kids, they know this particular app because they have friends in their schools, uh, different friends that use this. And so when they came to Parks and Rec with this kid, they were like, oh, we know that. And they came over and they started using it together. And it was just, uh, I had never seen that happen before. And I was just like thrilled that she shared it with me. She was super thrilled that it was happening, that there's this, um, again, this, this wave of kids that, that know AAC, not because they're users of it, but because their friends are users of it. That is awesome. I love, love, love that story. So were the, were the other students modeling on the device? Is that what was going on? That's exactly what they were doing. Like they were all kind of reaching over and they were all talking on the device. They were all using it in that capacity. It was just phenomenal. Oh, I love that. Oh man. I just love when things like that happen. It's just like, it feels like all of the hard work that we do both in our clinical practice and on this podcast, Chris, it feels like it's paying off when you, you know, hear stories like that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, difficult, I feel, to get uh, to put your finger on the pulse of how things are happening with AAC. You know, you could go in a certain neck of the woods or have a certain um, conversation with a group of people and they'd be like, oh, nobody knows about AAC or it feels like we're starting from scratch. Then you go other places where kids who are, are, are sitting in the parks and rec and they have friends that are using the same app or the same system as other kids that they know in their school. And so it's interesting to me that... Um, it feels like AAC is just something that is becoming more and more mainstream. Exactly. And I think this is, it's also important to think about how can we program our students' devices and teach our students in a way that is really accepted by peers? You know, how can we create language that is age appropriate for these kids? Because a lot of times you see kind of the standard templates and I'm really a big fan of using slang because that's how kids talk, right? That's how kids talk in the hallway. And if you make an AAC user, if you teach them how to use a really cool phrase, it fosters more peer acceptance. Um, and so I think it's important when we're thinking about, you know, how can we get students students involved with their peers and socializing, we have to program and teach in the same way that these students are talking. 
You know, I remember an episode that we did uh, a while ago now. It was Andrea Gardner and Ellen Winchester. And I think one of the things they talked about in that particular episode was the idea of the community getting involved with, with AAC and their outreach into teaching the community about AAC so that so that when their users went out into the community, uh, the community would know how to interact. They, they'd have some strategies, right? Um, and this kind of reminds me of that. Here is a kid going to Parks and Rec. His parents may or may not have really been thinking about the other uh, communication partners that this student is going to was going to experience, and yet the other kids knew about it, right? That was one of the reasons she was there in the first place. The speech therapist was to kind of, okay, I'm going to do my, my direct therapy with the student, but then I'm going to teach the other students or teach the camp counselors about the AAC, but some of them already knew it, you know, which was just so exciting. Which I think is also a testament too to the value of push-in, the push-in model, right? Um, being able to work in the classrooms and talk to other students, you know, about AAC and how they can, you know, talk with an AAC user and all these things that, um, you know, would not be able to happen if we were just kind of pulling kids out of a classroom. So I think it's another important reminder because obviously these students had you know, they had experience with AAC. They had somebody teach them about it, whether it be their teacher, another SLP. Um, so I think that piece is really important too. Absolutely. Now, so Rachel, I have another story though. Um, not quite as uh, emotionally charged as this one where I got to all jazzed, but still kind of interesting and totally in a different uh, different vein, if you will. I know that you and I kind of share this uh, passion for augmented reality, right? Uh, being able to hover your phone or your device over something and the, a layer of reality shows up on your phone or on your device kind of over top the real reality that your phone is pointing at pointing at or your device is pointing at right and would you agree that you have a you have a, you have a thing for augmented reality I do I do it's so engaging and so fun I love 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 augmented reality yeah I keep saying augmentative reality but it's really augmented reality because <laughs> we have <laughs> augmented it's because we have augmentative and alternative communication on the brain Chris <laughs> totally so um one of the things that I get to do in my current job is uh, I'm on a I'm on a committee that reviews all the new tools that might be coming into the school district. So uh, new applications that teachers want to use, uh, new uh, softwares, uh, new new hardware. Sometimes really software is where, where I'm focusing right now. And this committee looks at software. And one of the things that came across this committee was the Quiver Education app or Quiver for Education. Have you heard of this one? I have not. Tell me more. So I had heard of it, but then kind of forgot about it. And then when this came through the, the review cycle, I saw it. I was like, oh, yeah, this thing. So what it is, and, and I don't mind talking about it because it's free, right? There's, 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 a, there's a paid component like a lot of tools, but uh, this one has a free one that you can go download the app for free. And then what you do is you uh, download coloring books. It can be paper or it can be just a, a PDF of this file, right? I mean, it's PDF of this image. And then you hover your phone or device over the either the printed out uh, coloring book or the PDF of, the, of it. And it then augments the reality and pops whatever picture you have drawn or whatever picture you have colored up into a 3D environment. I've used this. I don't know if it's been Quiver for Education, but I definitely have used this. And it's so fun because to see, you know, a 2D coloring or picture or drawing and then pop up and, and then some of them have actually animations, which is really cool. Yes. Um, so, so cool. I love that. Yeah, because when you when you download it, it is, uh, like I said, it's a coloring book. So it's all kind of black and white. And then the idea is that the student can kind of color it in. And then when you hover your device over it, 
the colors that the student has chosen appear on the 3D image, which, um, and not all of them work, work like that. Like for instance, one of them was uh, an advertisement for the Bumblebee movie. If you remember that uh, a couple of months ago, there was the latest Transformer movie was the Bumblebee movie. And so they had done a promotional one where there was a, a 3D of the character Bumblebee, and then you could hover your device over it. And that one, it was, you could either have it black and white, or you could color it, or you could press a button that would color it for you. Uh, which I thought was a cool little accessibility feature. You could actually, you know, see Bumblebee in his black and yellow, uh, you know, color. That's amazing. Wouldn't that be cool if we could somehow incorporate the core words into that? So like you color, you know, the word go and then it pops up and maybe shows an animation of, you know, somebody going somewhere. Wouldn't that be cool? That. That would be awesome, right? I mean, imagine the black and white symbols. Students are then coloring the symbols themselves, and then it becomes animated. I mean, that would be... Uh, let's do it, Rachel. Let's let's make it. If anybody is listening who has the capacity to build this for us, please email us. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about before we transition into today's episode is one of my favorite new augmented reality apps, and that is called Do Not Touch. Have you heard of this, Chris? I'm not sure I have. Tell me about it. Oh, Chris, you have to download it as soon as we get off the air because it's amazing. So it's completely free. It's by Nickelodeon. And it's basically this, um, so it's augmented reality. So you can show your screen or your phone or tablet and it shows, you know, whatever's in front of the camera and you place a button either on the desk or on the floor or wherever. And it's this orange button and it says, do not touch. And of course, like, what do you want to do when you see a button that says, do not touch? You want to touch it. Um, and so when you touch the button, all types of really cool animation happens and it changes every week. So every single week, it's brand new animations. And it is one of my, it's it, every time I go into a, you know, a classroom or one of my sessions, my kids are like, let's play the button game. I want to play the button game. Um, so it's just a really, really great app for therapy, completely free. And um, yeah, it's hilarious too. These animations are really, really funny and they're engaging and interactive. So children can kind of play. There's tons of language opportunities. So I would highly recommend uh, our listeners, if you haven't heard of or played with Do Not Touch, it's free and awesome. Awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out. I want, I'm going to download it right now so then I can play it and then not touch the button. Right. <laughs> I know. It's actually a really great way to work on the negation, right? I work on the word not. Like, no or not, don't touch or don't. Um, it's really funny. And I kind of play a game back and forth with kids. I was like, don't touch it. Don't do it. And then they touch it. They think it's funny. And then it pops like into a different animation. So there's lots of really cool ways to incorporate it into your therapy. Yeah, you know, I feel like that's where we live with augmented reality right now. It's a lot of fun, you know, and I get nervous that the novelty wears off, which is why that the idea that it changes every week is a uh, is awesome. Like they recognize that too. Like you, oh, yeah, you're gonna press the button a few times and you're gonna get the same thing over and over again. No, you got to change it up. Uh, but uh, the I think where the real power is going to lie, and um, I think it's what you were just you know referring to, is the idea that how can it really change the work that we're doing. Right. I mean, how can you hover over a communication array or a communication symbol and have that pop up and really teach what that word means? You know, uh, there's a lot of possibilities there. We also know how important it is to utilize video modeling when we can, um, especially with these abstract concepts uh, like core words. I just I see a future in augmented reality and core words. I just do. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I'm really interested in it. Yeah, if any, again, if anyone is already working on this or knows somebody, of course, please put them in touch with us. We have tons of ideas here. I feel like I need to get in touch with Kevin Shia. He's the one that I collaborated with with the other augmented reality app. Um, if, 
called Moment, and it helps teach kids with autism social skills. He, um, I, I don't know if I told you or not, or if I mentioned it on the podcast again, but uh, I ran into him at ISTE. So I made sure I hunted him down at the uh, International Society for Technology and Education Conference. I was just there in Philadelphia, and uh, he was there. And so I made sure I went over and said hi and just said, hey, you were on our podcast, and you did great, Joel. And so we, t- we took a picture together. I'll make sure I put it in the Facebook group. Yeah. And you sent it to me and I was like, not only, you know, are you two together, but you're in Philadelphia, my hometown and somehow I'm not there. So I was very jealous at that moment in time, but excited that you guys got to connect again. So Chris, what's our episode about today? So what we have coming up next is part two of the ABCs of AAC, which we did with the Exceptional Ed Network. Yes. So if you guys are interested and you listen to last week's episode, after you listen to this week's episode, you can go to bit.ly backslash tech CEU and you can download the certificate. Um, Just take a 10 question quiz and earn CEUs. We're really excited that we're able to create our podcast into continuing education credits. Um, So we would love for you guys to, um, if you're looking for CEUs, go to that that link that we uh, will link to in our show notes and you can Earn, you can earn continuing education while you drive. So without further ado, here's part two of the ABCs of AAC. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mei-Ling Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people. Welcome, I'm Ling Chan, and I am CEO of Exceptional Ed. We are here tonight with the ABCs of AAC, brought to you by Rachel Madel and Chris Bouguet. That's us. That's us. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here's a quick question for you. When it comes to professional development, which is more important, quality or quantity? Go ahead. Put, that, put your answer in there. Quality or quantity? PD, which, which is more important? Cheryl says quality, 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 quality. Everyone's saying quality, Rachel. So I'm going to make the case that it's actually quantity, right? Ooh. Ooh. Look, the final, she dropped the mic. Do you see that? Um, So here's why. Uh, Here's why I'm going to make the case for quantity. Because so often when we think of professional development, we think of it as what you're doing now, an hour-long chunk of sitting here kind of listening to somebody, maybe uh, asking a question, we answer it at the end, uh, maybe going someplace and putting your butt in a chair and, and, and sitting there and listening. But in today's day and age, professional development can be much shorter chunks. You can think of it as small bite-sized chunks, right? Think of it this way. If any of you played Candy Crush, right? How did Candy Crush become such a big phenomenon and make millions of dollars? It was something called microtransactions, right? Little, I'll pay 99 cents. I'll pay 99 cents. It's small bites, right? Or you look at like, why was, why did Facebook become popular or Instagram? Because you can see these short little chunks of information. So if you think of your professional development that way, and of course, it still has to be quality information, right? It can't be garbage, little chunks of garbage. It has to be good stuff. But if you think about it, 
as quantity in these small chunks, your professional development sort of builds up over time, you know? Another good analogy is uh, it's not some giant comet coming down and smashing into the, into the earth that makes some sort of beautiful structure. It's the Grand Canyon, for instance, is this amazing phenomenon that is uh, molecule after molecule of water slowly carving away time. And that's how I think of my own professional learning. And that's how we encourage you to think about your own professional learning. It's tweet by tweet, uh, short podcast episode by podcast episode. It's, it's a little bit, little bit of chunks. So as you continue on, once you're done with this webinar and you're on, think of it, how can I do a little bit of learning every day? Just a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we can all relate to the, you know, eight hour conference that we went to. Like how much do we actually absorb? You know, I, and there's research that shows, you know, our brains are saturated after a certain amount of time and information. Um, so if we're, if we're practicing, you know, getting a little bit, you know, every day or, you know, setting a, a time every week to just do a little bit of professional development and learning, um, think about how that can affect our practice over time. That's why TIL is there, right? Today I learned. If you have that in your head all the time, what did I learn today? And it's not just like, well, I learned that it was, I was stuck in traffic. Like, that's not good. Like, you got to learn something about AAC. You got to learn something about your practice. Be, be mindful and purposeful about that. R is for reading and writing with a W. <laughs> um, okay. So when we're thinking about AAC, I always recommend think long-term right? Like we take kids where they're at right now when we're doing an assessment and we're thinking about everything, but let's think about like, you know, 10 years from now, where do we want the student to be? Um, you know, cause we're starting here, but eventually we want to get here. Um, and what does that involve? It involves literacy. All of our AAC intervention should really prioritize literacy. Um, it's so important. And well, the next slide, it's kind of a precursor to the next slide, which I'll talk about. Um, but we really need to be incorporating book sharing very early and often. Oftentimes our AAC learners aren't being read to. Um, you know, it's really easy to sit down with a preschooler and read a book when they're, you know, interacting and asking questions. And, um, you know, for our children, especially children who are completely nonverbal, um, you know, oftentimes they're not being read to because they're not responding, right? Um, and so we really need to make sure we prioritize shared reading, um, finding highly motivating stories. Oftentimes kids are very motivated by books and characters of, you know, their favorite show. I feel like all the shows now, they have books that come out. Um, so really, you know, finding books that you can use um, in your practice that get kids really excited and motivated. Um, what a great opportunity to, to model core words. Um, there's lots of information and resources about, you know, certain books and what core words are great for those books. Go Dog Go always comes into my head. Um, you know, there's, well, there's a wealth of information beyond just Go Dog Go, uh, but there's so many different ways you can incorporate core words with reading. Um, and then the next slide, SNUG. So we need literacy to actually get to SNUG, which stands for Spontaneous Novel Utterance Generation. And all that means, the fancy acronym, to say we need to give students the opportunity to say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. And I always give the example of this, um, this little guy that I work with. He's not so little anymore. He's a little bit older. But he has um, pipe cleaners. He loves pipe cleaners, and he loves making pipe cleaner people. And he names his pipe cleaners really 
random things like Sige and Biff. They're, they're the two top runners. Um, and they were kind of nonsensical. But if I didn't have a keyboard on his device, if he didn't have a robust AAC system um, to type out those names, I would never know. Um, you know, we can't guess what every word you know, that a child could possibly want to say. Um, and so we really need to give kids access to reading and writing. Um, and a keyboard is really important in that. And that's, I mentioned, mentioned that on the last slide, but making sure that we have a robust AAC system that prioritizes and incorporates a keyboard. Um, because that really gives kids the opportunity to say whatever it is that they want to say. Um, the other thing that I want to mention is that just to be really careful of um, scripts or quick fire phrases, um, which is basically just, you know, a chunked phrase. Um, for example, saying like, you know, I need to go to the bathroom. We can oftentimes in a lot of these devices plug in that phrase. And, you know, when kids have to go to the bathroom, you know, they can hit the button and it says, I need to go to the bathroom, um, which is fine. And that's actually a great way to use a quick fire phrase. The other great moments are opportunities for social socializing, um, you know, having a, a button that says, let's play, or do you want to play? Something like that, where a peer probably wouldn't have the stamina or the, the perseverance to sit and wait for a child to create that sentence in their device. Um, so we need that to be quick, um, especially with social situations. But we need to make sure we're not doing too much of that because we actually have to build the language skills. So we have to teach kids the language concepts as individual units and then build off of that. Um, so it's a, it's a balance, um, but it's really important that we, we teach those, founding, those foundational skills and those building blocks so that kids can eventually say whatever it is they wanna say whenever they wanna say it. Okay, this is a tricky one because you, it seems to make sense, right? Like T is for team, I'm gonna work on a team, I'm gonna work with an occupational therapist and a physical therapist, and I'm gonna work with a teacher and I'm gonna work with the family. And, but what you'll find is that this can actually be tricky because of the logistics, finding time to meet with, uh, with other people. And, and so often it's like, well, you're the speech therapist, you should be the one picking out the communication device. And that is rarely a good idea. Uh, the better idea is to work as a team and go through a decision-making process together about what the student needs. So you think, make, and picture a chart in your mind of, uh, where you list everything the student might need and then you look at the different tools that might meet those needs. And if you do that together collaboratively, you, you, would, you, you can come up with a better solution than if just one person does it. Um, there's a framework that you can use called SET. And so the SET framework was developed by someone named Joy Zabala. And the, it's a way of bringing people together to have a shared perspective about the tools they wanna to put in place. And the way they do that is through this acronym. So the S stands for student. You think about what the student needs uh, and you think about their disability and the, the, uh, the difficulties they might be having. The E is for environment and it's all about what's happening in the environment right now and that includes sometimes the technology that's already in the environment. But uh, it, it's, it's the people in the, in, in the environment, it's the, the structure of the actual rooms that the, that the student's in and then it's the technology that's in there. And then the first T in set is for tasks. What are you asking the student to do? Uh, what are you hoping that they do when you design your experience uh, that the students are going to be participating in? And those three, you analyze those three, you put those in a, uh, on this chart and you, you think about it together collaboratively as a team to develop the last T, which is for tools. That will, if you, those three first, the SET, 
will help you develop which tool you should put in place to, for the student. And this is a great way to develop um, uh, the selection process of how you're going to pick AAC in the first place. Well, should it be this app or this app or this strategy or that strategy? If you have a system like this, you have a framework like this, it can get everybody on the same page and have a shared perspective rather than everyone's unique individual perspectives. You is for unique. We've all heard this, right? Every child is unique. We need to address every child individually and individualize our therapy. Um, but it's so important. It really is. And oftentimes I think what happens is that SLPs were, we have too much to do and not enough time. And we have too many, you know, clients to see and not enough time. And so we try to make things easy by trying to kind of push the kids into this box, right? And it's, you know, as specific as a therapy session, like I want to do this activity. I set up, I, I planned this activity or I printed out these resources or these materials and like now we're going to do it. Uh, but the problem with that is that, you know, maybe the child doesn't want to do that activity. Um, so you really need to be flexible. You really need to think about, you know, every child is different um, and figure out what makes that specific child excited. Uh, what makes them laugh? Um, and that's something that when you find that, hold on to it and, and pull that thread because that's what's going to give, you know, you a lot. First of all, it's going to build great rapport, but it's going to give you a lot of insight into the types of activities that you can think of um, and create and the opportunities that you can create to really get kids motivated to communicate because half the, half the battle, you know, is figuring out what's motivating and getting kids wanting to communicate. Um, so it's just really important that we really think about, you know, each child uniquely. Um, you know, of course, thinking about their family goals. Um, oftentimes us as SLPs, we have a specific idea in mind. You know, I want to work on this. Um, and then we talk to the family and the family wants to work on something else. Um, so we need to figure out how can we, how can we do both? And I always, you know, kind of recommend making sure that we really listen to families and listen to what it is that they want to see, you know, improve when it comes to their child's communication um, and making sure that everything that we're doing aligns with that. Um, you know, and then we can start incorporating some, once we build so, trust and rapport with the family, um, then we can kind of start integrating things that we think, you know, we know clinically is best practice and, and things like that. So, and of course, evidence-based research, everybody should know that by now. <laughs> All right, V is for variation. And so what this means is you don't want to just keep repeating the same word over and over again. Uh, when you're doing instruction, you want to, you, you'll find that certain the words are used different in different ways. So I have, for an example here on this slide, do it and do you like me and, and don't do it. Um, and there's are different ways you can use the word do. Or if you think about the word on, for instance, there's a turn on the light or it's on, my laptop is on, uh, my phone is on my, uh, my lap. Um, uh, the there's lots of different ways you can use that word. And so you want to model it over and over again, but if you just do the same old boring word and do it the same way, it gets boring and, and redundant. And so what you wanna do is do this lot of repetition of the same word, but with a slight variation, again, using it in different ways so it's not just becomes ha habitual, that, it, um, that people learn the different uses for, for the words and, and how they fit together semantically and syntactically in, in sentences. This is especially important for children with autism. So 
children with autism are real good at memorizing scripts. Um, so you have to be even more careful about repeating things too much because a lot of times they'll just memorize the script and then they're stuck in the script. Um, you know, so we really need to be cognizant of making that language varied and, you know, here's all the different ways we can use this single word um, or here's a specific activity and here's all the different words we can use with that activity. Um, so it's just a really important thing to remember. So a great way of, strat of, of uh, organizing these words is something called a word of the week strategy or words of the week strategy. Uh, and the idea here is that you, you explicitly pick a word or two words that you're going to teach usually for a week. Uh, we give teachers uh, flexibility there because, you know, hey, sometimes we have snow days and it cancels three days out of the week or people got sick and so we didn't hit the word as much as we thought we were going to. So we're going to extend it to the next week. But as a, as a general benchmark, you're trying to keep to one or two words a week. Now, that doesn't mean you don't model all the other words. It means you pick one or two of those core words. Uh, let's say, for instance, stop and go. You know, that's why you'd have two, two words, is that you wouldn't just teach go in isolation and stop in, in isolation at separate weeks. You would, might teach them together, because if you're going to teach go, you might as well teach stop. So you would plan that for the week. Think, okay, how many opportunities can I give the students to, uh, to, for me to model on the student's device the words stop and go? Um, and, and I'll plan that explicitly throughout my day. You know, okay, they're going to go through the door. They're going to go on the bus. They're going to stop as they walk down the hallway. Uh, let's write those down. Oh, when I'm at circle time, uh, I'm going to have them uh, hit go to come up to the board and and start squiggling on their on the on the board or whatever move things around so there's lots of different ways you can build out activities throughout the day but your plan is one or two words a week and then the idea is that the next week you pick a net, the next set of words and the next week you pick the next set of words and if you do that most school systems have a 40 40 week schedule, um, 40 weeks in the year, and then you have summer break. So that gets you to between 40 and 80 words that you have explicitly taught and planned for. And then you can do that again next year and you can tweak from there depending on your students and their language level. But that's a, just a great way to focus uh, your instruction. Access for expansions. Okay, so we need to remember to take where a child's at and just go one step above that. Um, so oftentimes I see one of two things. One, we're kind of staying right where the student's at, right? So where if the child's using single words, we're using single words. Um, and then conversely, I see, you know, sometimes, you know, teachers and SLPs, they're modeling like five word phrases when the child's really at a single word level. Um, so the good rule of thumb is, you know, wherever the child's at, if they're at two words, you go to three words. Um, with the caveat that it depends on the language concepts, right? So uh, oftentimes I'll say, you know, it, you can use the word go. When the child starts using the word go independently, it's, you know, it's time to start modeling beyond just go. Um, so it's just really important to think about not only just how many words are they saying, right? Because a lot of times kids will stay at the one word level for quite some time. Um, but making sure that you're thinking about the, the, the concept and the core word that you're, that you're targeting, um, if, they, if they use that spontaneously, independently, like we need to be showing them um, way before they're able to, we need to be showing them way before, um, you know, they're ready to step up. We need to be modeling that language. You know, I go, you go, um, more go. Um, so it's just really important to kind of take where a child's at and you should always be modeling the step above that.
<laughs> so very similar to that, maybe even it's the same strategy spun in a different way, is the yes and strategy. So let me ask you, how many people have ever been to an improv show? You ever gone to see, well, Second City or, or seen on TV show, seen on TV? Anyone been to improv? Anyone? Go ahead and put it in the, in the chat. I'm curious who has done an improv show. Uh, but the idea here is that when people are learning to do improv, right, the comedy show, uh, comedy skit, uh, the idea is, is that you're interacting with other people on the stage and it kills the, the, the communication, it kills the language if you uh, don't follow along with the joke. So the way improv typically works is that someone will yell out something from the audience, hey, do a skit about a chicken, right? And so someone standing on the stage might go, all right, well, this chicken was walking down the road. Uh, and then it, and the person who they're talking to, the other improv actor, has to say in their mind, Yes, and, ooh, this chicken is walking down the road, and yes, and this next thing happened. Yes, and this, yes, whose line is anyway? Exactly, Harmony. Um, so yes, and, yes, and, and they continue on what that person said. And then it goes back to the first communication partner, the, the, the first improv player, who then says yes, and, and they keep building the story back and forth by saying yes, and, back and forth. And that is exactly what happens when you're working with someone with AAC is that you, you, you say what they say, and, that's, and then you expand on it by saying, yes, and then here's the next word, and then here's the next, and here's the next, and that way you can have this bouncing back and forth. So cute, cute little YouTube video there that explains what the, that strategy is if you're learning improv, and then you can see how it applies to AAC. Z is for Zoom. So Z was hard, <laughs> but we figured Zoom, Zoom worked, and here's why. We really need to get creative about how we're showing progress, how we're communicating within you know, an interdisciplinary team. And Zoom is you know, the program that we're all logged into right now. It's fantastic for video, um, you know, but it doesn't have to be Zoom. It could be anything. And it's really working with the students and the families and the teams um, you know, and doing whatever works for the team. So some ideas for you, um, I, you could do a shared YouTube or Vimeo channel. You can password protect this so it's not like blasting all over the internet. Um, you know, of course, with parent permission, uh, but that's something that I've done with some of the clients that I work with. Um, of course, you know, you can record Zoom. Um, you can have a shared Google album or, I'm um, sorry, iCloud album. Um, so if you're iPhone users, most of the team is iPhone users, you can have a shared photo album where you take photos and videos of certain activities. Um, you know, a lot of times parents will upload just pictures of the child doing lots of things in the community. And this is really great because next time I see that child for a session, I know exactly what they did over the weekend. Um, and so we can start talking about it. We can pull the picture up and we can, you know, start making sentences about it. Um, you know, I oftentimes try to find things that are really relevant and meaningful to a child because, you know, if we show them flashcards or, you know, things that they're not interested in and we get them to talk about it, what really, what good does that do? The whole point is that we want kids communicating about their experiences. Um, so there's no better way than sharing photos and videos um, of the things that they're doing. Um, shared Google Docs is another great way. It's not visual, but it's a great way to share information um, instead of kind of the old school, like write in the notebook and send the notebook home. Um, we can make it digital and really easy to access on phones and tablets. Um, so there's lots of different ways to, uh, you know, communicate about what's happening and tracking progress. 
Um, we just need to kind of think outside the box and of course get parent permission. Uh, but it's really, really interesting to think about how technology can help, you know, say what I can show in a 15 second video clip probably would take me 20 minutes to, to write about like, here's the strategy that I used and here's what he did and this is what I said. Um, so it's just like, how can we be more efficient and technology can help us do that. Um, so I'd really encourage you guys to get creative about how you're communicating with teams um, and tracking progress. It's also awesome to see, you know, oh wow, look at this video. Oftentimes we forget as clinicians, it's like, oh my goodness, look at this video and look how far we've come. You know, that video was taken a year ago and I'm just amazed at how much progress we've made since then. Uh, so it's really important. All right. So we had a couple questions pop up, Rachel, as we were chatting. And so one of them was from Harmony. And so she writes, do we stop trying to get a student to use the device if they push it away from us? I am trying to, I am trying to introduce it to a student of mine and he just isn't interested. He has Down syndrome and is pretty much nonverbal. Uh, so do you have thoughts? I know I have my thoughts. I have thoughts. So many. Okay, I have a catchphrase, inspire, don't require. So the onus is on us as clinicians to figure out what is so exciting that this child just has to communicate to get what they want. Um, you know, so it's really important that we're figuring out what makes this kid tick and it does not happen easily sometimes. Especially, I work with a lot of children with autism and they have very limited interests. Um, and so sometimes it's really challenging, but oftentimes if you build really good rapport, you kind of spend your sessions following a child's lead, seeing what they're interested in. Um, a lot of times you can, you can start like kind of figuring out what gets them really excited, um, you know, and without requiring, right? Like we can model on the device without requiring a response. So inspire, don't require. Um, it just means children will communicate with us when they're ready. Um, and that doesn't, that's not always good for, you know, to say to parents, right? We have all this pressure on us to make progress and like, I need my kid talking and all these things, right? I need to meet these IEP goals. But sometimes it's just, it's not a fast process, unfortunately. Um, so really just trying to get creative about the activities that you're choosing and um, just following the child's lead in a lot of ways. And I have, I've gotten kids using devices in the, the most random, obscure like ways. Uh, but like every kid's different and they love doing whatever they love doing. So it's just our job to kind of figure out what that is. I couldn't agree more, Rachel. I, I can't even add to it because you nailed it. That's exactly what I was thinking is that inspire don't require. And that might take a long time of just modeling on the device. But you'll see when, when he sees you using it, then he might, he might come around to using it. It's just like we said at the beginning, that descriptive teaching. You just, you just talk about what you're doing and narrate, the, narrate what's happening in space. Um, and, and so often we try and push it on them too fast and that's where the rejection comes in because they're not they don't they don't even know what it's for you know all right we have another question here and it's um from marilyn and she writes i just had an iep for my 18 year old and the independent aac person recommended for my daughter with angelman syndrome a pro slate 10 hd with touch chat 15. after trying to suggest why not pod they they then said they will give her touch chat word power 20 and they move away from pod because they did not see that it would help when we tried the manual book. Mind you that I did not think it was used consistently nor appropriately. Any ideas or suggestions? I have some ideas and suggestions. You want to go first again or you want me to jump in here? Rachel? I want you to jump in, Chris. Okay. So my first thought here, Marilyn, is that this goes back to that team slide. 
it sounds like you got a bunch of different individuals have already decided what they think is best for your child, as opposed to working as a team to decide what's best. Uh, some of the fear that happens with these teams is that if you're not trained in pod, if you don't really understand what pod is, you're definitely going to reject it. But if you know what touch chat is and you, you're used to using touch chat and it's like, okay, well, then we'll, you know what, that version of touch chat, let me get you a different version of touch chat because I'm a touch chat person and I understand in touch chat. I'm going to try and make touch chat work for your child. Um, it's probably because they need more information about pod. So step number one, get people to use that set framework to come up with a, uh, a list of needs of the student and then decide from there what tool would be best. Uh, and then second, if people are feeling like they don't know enough about pod, let's talk, let's hook them up with people who do. I mean, we uh, just, uh, we're going to have a podcast episode here uh, coming out about pod, for instance. Well, listen to that pod episode so you can get a better framework. Go watch the videos. There's a, a great YouTube channel called We Speak Pod about people who it's a whole family who they, they say we speak pod. That's how we do teach our our kids. So it can give you a, a visualization of what that even is or what or how it might work. Uh, but that's my guess is what is why they're sort of steering away from pod is that uh, they're not sure how that should be used. Now that, that's not to say that maybe they're right. Maybe this uh, maybe touch chat with word power or another system is the right tool. Um, but getting all on the same page is, the, is exactly the, the direction I take. And to take the personality out of it, to take the ego out of it, you need some sort of form that you can talk about. And that's what that set framework provides you. You can, all, you can talk about the form and fill it out together. It gets you working together rather than people digging their heels in and saying, no, it should be pod. No, it should be touch chat word power 20. That's, I think, the direction you should go. I agree. And I feel like having the set framework is just like a really easy way for people to not take it personally, you know, because I feel like, like you mentioned, Chris, a lot of times there's lots of egos, right? Like we're living in the world and everyone has an ego, uh, but we really need to try to put our egos aside, um, you know, and, and be open and be open to the discussion. And um, sometimes it's hard, but, you know, it doesn't hurt trying to get everybody on the same page, um, you know, and having these interdisciplinary meetings, and I didn't mention this when I talked about Zoom, but it's really awesome to get team meetings. So if you can't have people in one physical location, have a Zoom meeting like this. Um, you know, just really starting to think about how can we all collaborate um, so that we can come to a, you know, a decision as a group. Um, it should never be, you know, AAC specialist. I, I know the most about AAC, so I decide what's right. You know, and that's definitely not how Chris or I go into meetings. Um, so it's just really important that we're thinking about a team approach, um, you know, and bringing what we know to the table and then talking about it and being open. Do you guys have any final words before you close? Uh, check out our podcast, Talking With Tech. A lot of these questions that are being asked, asked are answered in the free podcast that we're doing uh, every week. Each episode comes out on Tuesday, so check it out. So we're really excited because now our podcasts are turning into professional development courses. So you can listen to our podcast as you're driving around and then you can go to the Exceptional Ed website and you can earn CEUs for that, um, for that listening experience. Um, just answer 10 questions and then you get a certificate. So the first one we just released is our core words roundtable. Uh, we kind of deep dive into core words and why they're important and how to use them in your practice. It's just and that's where I was going. Look, I was bringing up the Talking With Tech podcast page. 
Um, so again, if you come to Exceptional Ed, you just click on podcasts and follow the blue um, episode picture. And if you come down here, these are all the most recent ones. And over here on the left, how do I listen? Chris, can you tell us? Sure, you just click on one of those and it opens up in your handy dandy podcast app. And if you hit subscribe, what happens is every time we release a new episode, so usually on Tuesdays, it'll show up right in your podcast feed or show up right in your app. And uh, you connect that in your car. And whenever you're driving to work, you can, uh, you can drive with Rachel and Chris as we tell you about AAC and our experiences uh, or wherever. You know, if you like to listen in your bathtub, you could do that too. Wherever you want to listen. And we find that a lot of people listen to podcasts when they're doing chores around, the, around their house or because your hands are free, you just need your ears. So uh, definitely check us out. Excellent. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you to Chris Bouguet and Rachel Madel for this very, very comprehensive presentation. Yes. Thank you guys so much. I like, if you have any questions, you know where to find us. Thanks everybody. Really appreciate you showing up and being here and watching this and participating in it. It was a great experience. Thank you. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.